Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing Dr. John DeGarmo. Now, this is a fascinating conversation. It's an eye-opening conversation, and it is about adoption um, and about the foster care system. So, of course, adoption is always the that's the the end result um, for a lot of a lot of kids, and that's a, a great result. Uh, but what we're going to talk a lot about today is what fostering means, being a foster parent. You know, sometimes that leads to adoption. Sometimes that's just you know taking a, a kid just for a short time until better arrangements can be found. Sometimes it means that uh, eventually the 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 child is is reunited with uh, their their birth parents. Sometimes they're placed in another foster home. Sometimes they're put with uh, you know a family member. A lot of different things. Uh, I didn't know too much about you know adoption or fostering before this, but and that's why I wanted to bring it to you. You know I talk to people that do so many amazing things. We learn so much week in and week out about interesting professions, what it's like to be an Olympic athlete about interesting lives, global warming, all kinds of stuff we talk about. Uh, this week is no different. We're going to talk about a, a tough subject, but uh, I think we're going to all learn a lot, and that's kind of the, the focus of, uh, of the podcast. Uh, man, Dr. DeGarmo is going to give us some, some eye-opening, really sometimes tragic information about the system and you know, kind of what what the world of, of foster care looks like in America. It was a powerful conversation. It's certainly not one that you know is just a a happy go lucky conversation. It's a it's a real conversation. It's a serious conversation that we have to have. I, I made it pretty clear to him. I didn't know too much about it, and I, I don't know whether it's something that I could do. But I, man, I applaud the people who who do uh, sign up to be foster parents. Uh, he gives kind of information on what you can do to help if it's something that, that's in your heart, um, whether it is actually fostering yourself or there's a lot of other things you could do too. Uh, but this was a powerful one. Uh, I really, really appreciate speaking with, with uh, Dr. DeGarmer. He's kind of a leading expert in this world. He he runs a, an organization all about foster care, which he's going to talk about that, t- that too. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, here is Dr. John DeGarmo. I'm here today with Dr. John DeGarmo. How are you, Mr. DeGarmo? I'm very well. How about yourself? I'm good. If you would, just introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Dr. John DeGarmo, founder and director of the Foster Care Institute. I work with child welfare programs across the country and across the globe. been a foster parent myself to over 60 children, and I've adopted many kids in the foster care system myself. Awesome. Yeah. And you, I mean, you just mentioned kind of a astounding number, I think, to a lot of people. When it comes to to fostering, I think that that's something that a lot of people have, you know, potentially thought about. But the sixty children—that is a, a lot. So I just wonder, how did how did that? I don't I don't know if passion is the right word, but how did that calling for you come? Obviously, it's really uh, it's became something really really major. So I wonder about that, and then I wonder beyond that. Once once you moved into that passion, how you became kind of the resource and the expert that you are with it now. 
Well, it wasn't something I set out to do, that's for sure. Like it's like so many in society, I believe the many miscon- misconceptions that are associated with foster care, the kids are bad kids, foster parents are bad people. You know, it's anything but the truth. Uh, these are children who are victims of abuse and neglect and abandonment. Um, children just want to be normal and have someone to love them. Uh, I think maybe when my wife and I got into the foster care system after the death of our first child from a condition called anencephaly or anencephaly, it's a condition where the brain and skull never truly form. And my wife was in labor for 92 hours. And that really kind of shook me, if you will. And uh, a few years later, when we had some healthy children and we were moving back in the United States. We were living in Australia for a while, which is where she's from. We were living in the United States and I was teaching in a rural school filled with lots of generational poverty and generational apathy in the community. And I kept recognizing a lot of kids coming through my classroom who had issues of behavior and issues of academics and issues of attendance. And I was recognizing a lot of it was starting in the home. So that led into some discussions with my wife about how can we help these other kids? And we've lost our first. We have three healthy ones at that point. How can we help others? What can we do to serve these children who are in need of help and know someone to love them? So that led to foster parenting and that led to the doctorate and all the books I've written. And uh, I, right now I'm just very driven to make the system a better one. Yeah. And I want to just at the base level, because I never want to make any, I never want to make assumptions that anyone listening really understands much of, of anything. So what is being a foster parent? I mean, as opposed to adopting kids, fostering kids, kind of what's the differences here? Well, when a child is removed from a home, a parental home, maybe due to abuse or neglect or abandonment, um, and there's no biological family member that can care for them, then they're generally placed into the foster care system. And foster parents have been trained. They have gone through a number of um, background checks, if you will, and they care for these children while their birth parents and biological family members are undergoing a series of trainings, if you will. They need to make sure that they get the training that they can, that they need to support their children and care for the children. They need to get their their own trauma, because many of them are coming from places of trauma, their own trauma um, consoled and, and, and you know therapy and that kind of thing. So when the children are placed back into the home, which is known as reunification, it can be a happy, under, happy ending ever after, if you will. I got you. I got you. And you, you said a minute ago, too, something that surprised me. I guess I understand, unfortunately, how people would think, you know, kids in the foster care system are quote unquote, bad kids just because of the situation that they grew up in, um, which I'm sure is not generally the case. Um, But the thing that confused me is you said that foster kids, people think are bad kids, then foster parents, people think are bad parents. Is that why is that the case? Why are foster parents looked at? Well, you know, maybe they're considered crazy. They're considered crazy because, you know, it's not a normal lifestyle. When we bring in these children to our home who are strangers and they're filled with trauma, they're filled with anxiety, they're filled with issues of perhaps anger or attachment or trust issues. Uh, it's it's different lifestyle. It's the hardest thing I've done. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. You know, it's so rewarding, but it's tough. So it's again, it's not a normal lifestyle. A lot of people, you know, they scratch their heads and say, why are they doing that? Why are they doing mm. that? Yeah. And you, I mean, you just mentioned how it's the hardest, but also the most rewarding. That's how I feel like a lot of things are, but talk about some of the most rewarding parts of, uh, parts of the role. Well, you know, watching a child learn how to smile the first time I, I recall a girl we had in our home four years of age and she had been raped repeatedly by one of her uh, relatives repeatedly. And then when she arrived in our house, she could not speak one word, it was just uh, uh, grunting uh, and motioning. 
had no vocabulary whatsoever and as and had suffered tremendous trauma watching her learn how to smile and learn how to laugh so rewarding watching children learn how to trust an adult recognize that maybe maybe this adult is not going to hurt them that's very rewarding watching some children in christmas day open up some gifts who have never had a christmas gift before in their life it's rewarding yeah so obviously the flip side what's what's some of the most challenging parts of it well you know, my wife and I have had as many as 11 kids in our house at the same time. Uh, oh. We had seven in diapers at one point, which was which was crazy, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> it was a crazy lifestyle. Uh, you know, that's tough. And, and and many times these kids come to your home, they're scared. They're confused. They're frightened. They're, you know, put aside all the abuse they may have experienced beforehand. It's a time of anxiety being placed into a foster care home because they come to our home and they have questions like, why am I here? What did I do wrong? Do my parents love me? Will I ever see my mommy and daddy again? Who are these strangers? What are their rules like? Will they hurt me? Will they touch me inappropriately? Will they lie to me? How long will I be here before they kick me out? So mm-hmm. there's a there's a time frame where there's going to be a, a children have learned that we're not going to hurt them, that they're going to trust. And, and many of them come with, you know, it may be eating anxieties or sleeping anxieties, maybe anger issues, attachment issues. So that that can be difficult. Um, then there's the the visitations, the counseling department sessions, the therapy sessions, the uh, meeting with the caseworkers, perhaps court. There's a lot involved. There's a lot involved. Yeah. But you know what? I think it's important to to note here that when a child comes into my house, there's no label, there's no biological, there's no adoptive, there's no foster. They're mm. all my children. And we love them unconditionally. I think kids in foster care need three things. They need stability. They need structure. But what they need more than anything else is for someone, like a foster parent, to love them unconditionally. Sure. It it absolutely hurts when they leave our home. People say to me, Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It Mm. would hurt too much to get the kids back. That's exactly how it should be. At the end of the day, when they are removed from our home and placed maybe back with their birth parents or biological family members or wherever they might go, it's like losing a member of our own family, and that does hurt. But you know, it, that's a gift. We're giving these gift that these we're giving these children a gift of of love that they can carry with them the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that just to me, I feel like that would be the most challenging part because obviously it's a it's a good thing when they're able to go back to their um, you know birth parents because it means something something potentially is going right. But then also it'd be so difficult just to move past a, you know, past that child going back. And, um, you know, I've heard from other foster parents, exactly what you just said. And, and that hadn't even really clicked to me. And, and you said it too, that it should hurt because if it doesn't, then you may not be doing the the job correctly. So I, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. And I, the, the thing I also, because the other foster parent that I talked to that I had never really thought about. So I want you to kind of speak on too, is, you know, it, it makes sense to say, hey, when one parent wants to be a foster parent, you need to get both parents on board. It's not possible for, you know, the mom to want to do it, but the dad not, um, which that one's pretty easy to understand. The thing that uh, kind of surprised me, but also makes a ton of sense, too, is it's a whole family thing. You need to get the kids on board, too, because if they're not into it, then it's not going to be a good environment for everybody either. So talk a little bit about that. That's so true. It does take everybody. You know, I, I depend upon my wife and she depends upon me. We depend upon our children um, to help out in, in a number of ways. It is 
it is difficult and you've got to all be on the same page, so to speak. If somebody does not want to do it, then you really can't do it um, because it can disrupt an entire family. The first thing I say to people is if they're thinking about becoming foster parents is, is talk about it with your spouse first. And then you go to your children and say, this is what we're talk- considering doing. Every time we have a new phone call for a placement in the home, it's something we talk about as a family. You know, here's the situation. How do you feel about this, kids? Uh, you know, but, you know, while we're having this conversation, there are 5 million children in the United States every single year who experience domestic violence. There, there are roughly 800,000 children who are missing. There are about 300,000 kids victims of human trafficking. So it all means it's in every single community. You know, there's a mm-hmm. child in crisis in every single community. You don't have to go overseas to find a mission field, if you will. Yeah. I and, you know, I listened to your your TED talk, which was extremely powerful. I want people to listen to that for sure. So I don't want to necessarily give away that individual story, but I wonder how often is that the case that you have a, a loving foster parent that, you know, just because of the system, lose track of, of the, the kid. And then, you know, I, I just can't imagine that situation. So how often is it that, that kind of literally the kid kind becomes a, a product of the system that, doesn't really benefit them very much. Well, it doesn't happen often, but I will say that any time, one time is too often. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the the system, quite frankly, is overwhelmed. A case for, uh, today, our social workers today are overworked, overwhelmed, under resourced, under supported, understaffed, underpaid. We're seeing more children coming into the system because of the opiate epidemic, because of crossing over the border, Roe versus Wade. While we may have some lower numbers in children in foster care, that means many of them are, are still staying in an environment that might be, that might be a dangerous one for them. You know, I think it's so important that we all ensure the safety of children in our lives. You know, there, there's a, whether it's remaining in the home, remaining, going to kinship, which is biological parents, maybe grandma and grandpa, going to a traditional foster parent home, going to a residential therapeutic home, whatever it might be, there is a, there's not a one size fits all model. Yeah. How, when it comes to foster parenting, just in my mind, which is probably, you know, has, has no experience. So I have no idea, but how long do you generally, you know, have a, a child? I feel like, you know, in my mind, I think foster parenting is a, is a short term thing. And I, I feel like it sometimes is, but what, what is normally the, the time frame? Well, of course, that differs between every child. We've had kids in our house as young as as, as long as one day and as long as almost two years. Mm. Uh, for the DeGarmo household, the average about six months. I think the average nationwide right now is maybe 18 months. Of course, there are some children who will go from home to home to home to home year after year after year after year. And the longer they stay in the care, the more issues of trust they're going to have, the more issues of attachment they're going to have. It's known as multiple displacement. Uh, and that can be very tragic for a child, to be sure. Every child, every child deserves permanency. Every child deserves a loving family. So what, I mean, what your your role in this, is it firmly as a foster parent? Do you, I mean, has, I, I don't even, I don't, I was going to compare it to something else. I'm not going to. Do you ever, have you adopted any of these kids or is it about trying to help as many as you can? Well, both. We, we have adopted three for the foster care system. We've had some adoptions that did not work out, sadly. Um, in addition to that, what I do is I work with agencies across the country and across the globe 
equipping their staff, providing support services, training, not only for staff, but for foster parents, trying to bring awareness to these issues, working with legislators, if you will, working with churches and faith-based groups to create their own foster care outreach program. I, I really believe that in our nation today, if every single church had a foster family, one foster family, we would have enough homes for these children. Mm -hmm. So what made you, you know, obviously I, I know your passion behind uh, foster parenting. You've, you've talked about that. Um, but what made you decide that you wanted to go beyond that and actually, you know, kind of become that, that industry expert kind of spearhead the, the public facing side of things? What, what, what created that desire? I think it was something probably God placed on my heart. Mm. Uh, I was I was working in the school system and I was recognizing that my fellow teachers did not really have the knowledge that they needed about the kids in their classroom who were from foster care. I didn't. I surely didn't. Before I was a foster parent, as a teacher, I had no clue. I had no clue whatsoever. So when I became a foster parent and I was recognizing that these children in my own home were struggling in school, 55% will drop out of school when they transition or age out of the system. Hmm. Uh, 65% will end up homeless, 75% will end up incarcerated and just start to self over and over again. So uh, is it that point where I recognize, you know, my own kids and my family that are living in my home are struggling in school. How can I help this? And that just has led to a number of ways. And you saw my TED talk. So you know why I'm driven because personally it's happened to me where the system's failed a child mm -hmm. a few times. So uh, I, I can't let that happen again. Yeah. And with these with these 60 children that you fostered, how, how does the system work? Obviously, we uh, you, you talked in your TED Talk about losing track of a kid because of the system. But is it meant to be where, you know, it's a short term solution. They go back to parents and then they, you know, just, I guess, stick with the parent and not have anything to do with with the past. I mean, are you able to stay in contact with with kids once they go back to their parents, or is that a negative thing? Well, it all depends upon the family. You know, for some families, we might look at, we might be the bad guys to those birth family members, those biological family members, mm -hmm. because we might represent a part of their life that they may not want to remember, part of their mm -hmm. past where they just want to get past and move forward. Um, the, then on the other hand, there's there are so many children who we do keep in contact with, and and again, they're part of our family. So, you know, it really is, it depends upon the individual circumstance. Ideally, ideally, the children would go back home, they would uh, be safe and be in a loving environment, and we could still be part of their lives and still work alongside their parents to help raise their child. Um, but that's not always the case, sadly. Yeah, yeah. And is it, I mean, going back to the parents is is obviously that a great thing, if possible, but again, in my mind, I would think that it is, you know, you know, the court system, you know, I, I have plenty of, of family that are in the in the legal system as far as like being attorneys. So I know how that side works. And pretty much if it's at all possible to go back to a parent, that's what's going to happen because that's what the courts want wants to happen. But I wonder how often it is that it's a complete success that really that family has turned everything around and the kid is just in a good spot? Is it generally where, okay, they're stable enough now, or is there a lot of success stories where we just needed that six months and now we're ready to roll again? 50% of children who are in the foster care system are reunified. They go back home. Again, whether it is with mom and dad or maybe grandma and grandpa or somebody else, 
Of that 50%, though, 20 to 30% come back into care because perhaps their parents or family members weren't ready yet. Or maybe they sink back into their own addictions or their own trauma, or they were not getting the support services they need afterwards. Um, so, you know, there, there's, um, there, those are some sad statistics to be sure. Yeah, it, it is for, for sure. Tell us exactly what the Foster Care Institute is. Well, we provide support services and training to and resources, if you will. Think of it kind of as a one-stop shop for foster care. You know, at our website, we have hours and hours and hours of training videos, of, of, of webinars, of podcasts, articles. And of course, we work side by side with child welfare agencies in training their staff, training their foster parents, helping with recruitment, helping with retention. Uh, and then, of course, we also work with legislators to try to make the system better as well. To talk about, too, I know this is something that you mentioned, and I, I'm i interested in it, too. What uh, difference has, has the system or, or how has, has COVID affected um, you know, those, those kids? Oh, it was a disaster. <laughs> it was a disaster. And I was, I was, I don't want to say preaching, but I was t- trying to tell anybody who would listen back in March, April, May of 2020, when we chose a society to s- shut down the schools and we're learning now what a mistake that was. But I was saying back then it was going to be a mistake because we are placing those for those children. They were going, they who were now not going to school, they were not getting their professional therapy or counseling sessions they needed. They were not getting the special support services they had in school. They were not getting visitations with their birth parents. Their anxiety levels were going through the roofs. Foster parents were saying, well, I'm not a professional therapist or counselor. I can't provide therapy for this child on a professional level. I'm not a teacher. I can't help these kids in their schoolwork. I don't know this math. Um, I can't do day to daily visitations online with the birth parents when I have my own challenges and anxiety. So their anxiety levels went through the roof as well. In addition, the caseworkers, because we are told we can't go anybody's homes, caseworkers were unable to meet with the birth parent. I'm sorry, meet with the foster parents, meet with the children to provide the support that they needed. So that was a problem as well. You know, I, I was saying in March of 2020, I was far more concerned about the mental health aspects than of any virus. And we're seeing it to be true today. You know, we when we have 5 million children who experience domestic violence in their home and they're going to school for two reasons, two meals a day, and it's the only place perhaps they're not being hit. It's the only place they are not being cursed at or raped or abused. School was their safe space. And we took that away from them. We locked them in the home of their abuser for a year or so. So it's no wonder that teenage suicide's up 51%. It's no wonder we're having the real pandemic right now with mental health issues. Um, it, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. And it's something that I think as a society, we should have thought through much more in 2020 instead of the knee-jerk re- reaction that we had powerful for sure yeah i know when they you know closed the schools that you know i heard uh, several you know activists coming out and just saying hey this is the even even kids that weren't going in the foster care system just you know low income this is the only stable meal that some kids have so taking that away but just the extra level that you mentioned that's uh that's i mean that's that's terrifying that's really scary so i wonder what lingering effects are going to happen you talk about the pandemic happening now, based on that, I, I feel like that's uh, something that's going to be felt for a long time. It is going to be felt for a long time. You know, 
there's a lot of learning challenges right now, pandemic learning loss. Kids right now in school are testing at an all-time low. Their reading and math skills are at an all-time low because we took that away from them. There was no learning online. Learning was not taking place online. What was happening, though, for a lot of children who are very, very vulnerable and they're going online during COVID was they were being uh, lured in by human traffickers. And, and, and again, a real problem that we should have thought through. And there were some saying, hey, this is not a good idea. But yeah. the, the overwhelming response was remove it from school, close down schools, can't go outside, no contact with people. Think about these little three or four-year-old kids who are told can't, can't touch grandma grandpa because you could kill them. What does that do to their mental health? not it was not good yeah i i understand that i understand that i i want to kind of move into other people listening to this and and kind of having a desire towards towards fostering i want to ask you for those who you know you you've helped start that process you talked about how you have seminars and you have webinars and all these type of things so there's a lot of training out there and i'm sure people can find those resources but the question i have is those who have kind of went through that process and then actually start doing it. What have you heard that people say? It could be your own experience or just others that you're like, I was not prepared for this part of it. This is, this was a surprise once it actually started happening. Yeah, I wasn't prepared. I went through the training myself. You know, my wife and I had college degrees. My wife was a, a degree in psychology at the time. I had been a teacher for a while. We had three healthy children. I thought I was ready. I thought I was more than ready. Mm-hmm. And I recognized in the first 20 minutes, I'm not prepared for this. Wasn't mm-hmm. prepared for it. Uh, I wasn't prepared for the level of anxiety the child had and how it affected our family. I also wasn't ready when the child left. Actually, it was two kids. Our first placement was two children. I think they were with us for about six months. And when they left, I was not prepared for the amount of heartbreak that my wife and I experienced. I was not prepared coming home a week or so later and finding my wife in tears because she had loved those children so much and now they're someplace else and you know the heartbreak if you will but again i go back and say that that's a that is that can be a gift because we're providing love and stability and structure for these kids who may never have had any of it before in their life yeah so how can people get involved in this type of thing well i think it's first i think it's important first of all to recognize that not everybody can be a foster parent Mm. at the same time everybody can help in some way so if you want to be a foster parent, the first thing you should do, as I said earlier, is talk about with your family, see if your spouse or partner are on board. And and, and it's, I think it's also important to remember that you don't have to be married to be a foster parent. You don't have to be rich to be a foster parent. You don't have to have a big house to be a foster parent. You just have to have a, a desire to help these kids and, you know, and go through the background checks. So if there's something you want to do and you've discussed it with your family and everybody is in agreement, then you contact your local child welfare provider in your area, whether it's a state one or maybe a faith-based one, perhaps, and you begin that conversation and begin the training. If you decide that you can't be a foster parent, maybe not at this time or maybe ever, again, there's so many ways ways you can help. You can provide school supplies for children at the beginning of school years. You can provide backpacks filled with hygiene items or maybe stuffed animals and plush, plush, and, and plush toys and soft blankets. If you have your own business, you could hire some of those teenagers who were in the foster care system and teach them important social skills and work skills. Uh, you could be a, a mentor or a tutor. You could provide meals uh, to foster families maybe once a month in your area. If it's the holiday season, you could 
adopt the family, if you will, in foster care and help them with gifts for the kids. Um, so there's a number, that's just a few ways you can help. And as I mentioned earlier, um, the churches today can create their own foster care outreach programs or foster care ministries. I've got a book, book called The Church in Foster Care, which is designed for faith-based groups to create their own foster care ministry, whether it is creating a clothes closet for for the kids in your area, maybe food pantries, uh, maybe stuffing backpacks filled with hygiene items for all the kids in your community. There's so many ways, so many ways. And, and you know, as you and I are having this conversation, there are children in your community and there are children in my community who need someone to step up and say, hey, I'll help. I'll help. Yeah. And you mentioned that you don't necessarily have to be married uh, to be, you know, to get into this. And that kind of just makes me wonder, because obviously you hear some of the issues in the the adoptive world, too, definitely when it comes to, you know, the, the faith based side of things. How hard is it to get involved in in this type of thing if you are LGBT or or unmarried is it is it more difficult or is it just as easy it's not more difficult it's not more difficult right now agencies are 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 looking for people to step up and say i can help i know many single foster parents i know many foster parents of many different faiths and backgrounds and beliefs um no it's not more difficult not in today's climate good i I like to hear that i do wonder where you're you're at in your journey you've obviously had you know, you've helped over 60 children. Like you mentioned, you're, you're really big in the advocacy side, which is probably, probably even more impactful. Um, are, is this something that you're, you're still involved with? Obviously the older, the older people get the less, less likely that are going to be able to keep dealing with little children. Is it something you're still doing? Well, I don't know. I've met some people in their sixties and seventies who mm-hmm. are foster parents of little babies. I think mm-hmm. back to a family I met in Texas years ago. I believe he was 74 at the time and she was 72. And all they did was foster terminally ill babies. We just mm-hmm. rock them and rock them and rock them until they pass. Uh, huh. How inspiring. Huh. Um, my wife and I, are we, are we don't currently have at this very moment children placed in our home. We have our own children that we're caring for. The three children we've adopted from the foster care system, we're focused more on them. And I'm spending many of my much of my time on the road mm-hmm. so our time as a foster parent currently right now is on hold as we're looking at different ways to help i hear that for sure i hear that so tell us how we can uh we can find you how people can connect with with your organization with with you just shout out those uh those social media plugs oh thanks for asking so anywhere in social media dr john digarmo d-e-g-a-r-m-o if you want to find more about becoming a foster parent or learning what it's like or how you can help, our website, the Foster Care Institute, the Foster Care Institute, or just look up Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert. Yeah. And how can people, is the best place, I don't ever really know, TED Talks, are they on YouTube? Is that the best place? That's where I found your your TED Talk. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. It's on my website as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I highly, highly recommend people check that out. Well, it's been a, a pleasure. Um, you know, I, I definitely, anybody who does this work is, is amazing. Cause I know it's not easy. I I've of course not done that, but I know people that have, and, and it is a, it's a powerful thing. So I really appreciate the things that you've, you've done and that you continue to do. 
Well, thank you. And I really appreciate you bringing awareness to this issue. You know, before I was a foster parent 20 some years ago, 25 years ago, I didn't know much about it. And I wish there were people out there like you who were shining the spotlight on it because it brings awareness. And I think with that awareness, then people can become advocates. Again, I, I say again, not everybody can be a foster parent. But when you have 5 million kids in, the, in our nation who are experiencing domestic violence, and there's a child right now who is hoping and praying that someone will rescue them from a home of abuse you know that means every single community has children in crisis and and we all can help that absolutely powerful words to leave us on you have a great day thank you you too so that was dr john degarmo amazing guy learned so much this week about a a really uh, impactful but not easy to talk about topic um you know Obviously, the, the foster care system works really well when it works, but there's times that it doesn't. Uh, you know, there's those rare occasions that you know, we have those heartbreaking situations where kids are bounced around from foster parent to foster parent, or even worse, you know, they, they lose track of, of um, you know, a foster kid from a, a loving foster parent. Urge you to go check out Dr. DeGarmo's TED Talk. He talks a lot about that situation that happened to him absolutely tragic uh, he talks about things that you can do to help like i mentioned in the opening and like he mentioned being a foster parent is certainly not for everyone but there's so much that you can do outside of of actually opening up your home so urge you if that's something you're, you're thinking about to uh to do that and um you know if, if you need any resources they will be in the show notes on, on how to connect with Dr. DeGarmo uh, to, uh, I guess, explore that journey. But it was a pleasure speaking with him. Go check out the show notes. Hope you learned a lot, if nothing else, this week. Uh, it, was a, it was a powerful conversation. If you're interested in following along more with me, I would be honored if, if you did. Uh, go to, of course, subscribe, follow on Spotify on Apple. Leave that five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Leave a written review on Apple. It's even even more awesome. We're on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast, JacksonF.com, Facebook group, all kinds of stuff. Appreciate you following along there. Amazing guest this week and more amazing guests to come. So hope you'll stick around. We'll see you next week. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think. Or, hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.